Good morning, I'm Janine, and you're listening to Get the Funk Out, right here on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. On today's show, I'm speaking with Lauren Collins. She's a staff writer at The New Yorker since 2008, and she's written a book called When in French, Love in a Second Language. It's my pleasure to welcome to this week's show, Lauren Collins. Hi, Lauren. Hi, how are you? I'm great. So as I just mentioned offline, as I'm looking through your book, I have flashbacks of Frere Jaca when I lived in New York City as a little kid, and I'm sure m- most of us as a little kid, we kind of like slaughtered the words. <laughs> uh, we didn't even know what it meant. I mean, did you know? Well, I had no idea. I, so I had this, you know, a couple of years or something of French lessons in kindergarten, and my only memory of French was singing the song that I totally thought was about a used car salesman, Sunny La Mesita. You know, somebody had this kind of his own dealership. Um, And anyway, you know, I found out much later that I've been totally wrong, but yeah, it kind of, you know, it was imprinted in my mind and even now with my daughter who's two and a half, she sings the song perfectly, you know, French is her first language along with English. Mm-hmm. And um, I I can't help breaking out a sunny llama tuna every <laughs> now and then, even though I know better. It's so funny. So let's back up a second. You know, as I'm looking over this book and hearing about your, your story, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this could be a movie. Ooh. That would be nice. I wouldn't mind. <laughs> um, but no, I, the thing that's cinematic about it, I guess, is, um, you know, it's in this kind of tradition of, you know, girl goes broad, girl meets boy. Um, I think where it derails from that a little bit is the book begins when I am a newlywed living in Geneva, Switzerland, and um, it's not this kind of, you know, wonderful paradise. It's really a little bit dystopian in the beginning because there I am with maybe kind of pharmacy French. You know, I can go in and <laughs> buy some Agile if I have to, but not even Ikea French in order to furnish our apartment. Oh, no. Um, and, um, you know, I keep going to restaurants and saying when I, when I finish saying, um, it's just sweet fitty, wanting to say I'm finished, but really I'm telling the waiter that I'm dead when I'm trying to get him <laughs> to take away my salad. So, um, it all it all started, yeah, when I was having a really hard time um, communicating with, you know, my neighbors and um, kind of, you know, the people in the dry cleaners and everyone around me. But not sure. only that, also a really hard time communicating um, with my husband, who spoke perfect English, but, um, you know, he told me one day, speaking to you in English is like touching you with gloves, and I felt like there was always going to be something missing until I tried to, you know, meet him um, kind of, on his turf in terms of the language. I like that. So let's back up. How You want to tell the listeners how the two of you met? Okay, so um, I moved to London when in 2010, and I'm kind of 30, newly dumped, not really sure what I'm doing there. <laughs> and I went to a party right after I moved there, and I saw this man across the room, and I thought, oh, like, look at that. He looks like a European. Why don't I go talk to this European man um, mm-hmm. since I'm in Europe? And whenever I talked to him, I, you know, I grew up in North Carolina. I didn't have a passport until I was 20. Um, and this was literally the first time I think I'd ever spoken to a French person. Um, but I started talking to him, and, you know, one thing led to another. And um, soon enough, yeah, we were we were married and living... Um, in Geneva, a French-speaking country, and then I had to figure out um, what I was going to do about that. Right. I mean, did you, as far as your work here in the States, uh, because you were at The New Yorker for a long time. Right, right, and I still am. You still are. 
so how did that all turn about? I mean, did you have family and friends going, uh, Lauren, what are you doing? <laughs> um, no, not 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 so much what are you doing, um, but I, I think, I mean, they were maybe entertained by this improbable course that, yes. <laughs> that my life had taken. I think I was saying to myself, what are you doing? Because <laughs> I had been happily, you know, I had been, happily living in London for a few years mm-hmm. with none of these issues. But as soon as we moved to Geneva, um, as I write in the book, like, you know, language is a kind of a kind of homeland. And as soon as I was no longer in an English speaking country, I felt in a sense homeless and really adrift. And then I realized, you know, if I'm gonna be with this person and I'm gonna be a part of this family and I'm gonna, you know, maybe someday have these little French speaking kids, like I'm really have to, gonna have to get serious about this. So it was then that I decided, you know, even though like I'm thirty three and I don't speak a word of French, mm-hmm. I'm really gonna have to buckle down and do this. And now I I was looking in the book and it, you were saying how you only knew Oliver in his third language. He also spoke Spanish. So Right. Well his yeah, yeah his um grandparents on his mother's side were were Spanish refugees from the Spanish Civil War. And um, so they spoke French at home, but he grew up learning. So he learned Spanish um, from his grandfather. And so, yeah, he had Spanish and French before he ever had any English. And I just felt like there were these layers um, that I almost had to chip away at. I mean, I was just, you know, imagine, like, right. being with someone and making a life with someone, but thinking, well, I've never... I've never heard his real voice. I mean, I don't yes. know what what he really sounds like in his kind of natural, primal yes. um, state. And so, and it was funny when I did finally <laughs> learn French. And there was a moment where it was kind of like all the static went down on the radio, and I felt like I was really <laughs> hearing his voice for the first time. It was right when I just everything started to kind of come together and gel, and I was able to start um, making sense of these streams of French words, and I realized that all this time, you know, that he had this kind of, like, tick in French where he was basically saying the equivalent of dude ah. at the end of every sentence, so I was like, wait a minute, I just married a guy who says dude at the end of every sentence, but it was also this wonderful moment, because as I said, I felt like I was hearing his voice for the first time, I thought, it, you know, I felt like I was kind of getting some essence of him that had always been obscured for me when, when I couldn't speak to him in his own language. I love that. Because it's a totally different side of somebody. Exactly. And, you know, there was some trepidation going into that. I mean, I thought, like, what if I go to all this trouble and learn this language and this person isn't who I thought he was? Or, right. you know, I don't really like him. But um, fortunately, that didn't happen. And it's really just deepened um, our ability to communicate. So for me, it was French. But what's interesting is I think so many people are going through this. Um, you know, ours is kind of an exaggerated case, but mm-hmm. any time really that you're trying to communicate or to speak with someone who's different from you, whether it be, you know, race, religion, culture, nationality, gender, <coughs> even just temperament, mm-hmm. you're performing these small acts of translation right. um, every day. And so I wanted the book also to be, you know, kind of an account and a resource for for people who um, are trying to just learn to speak to somebody, like, um, in in a different way, trying to learn how to communicate. And I think that's something that, that most people um, can relate to. Can you share also how you went about learning French? Because, I mean, I remember taking high school French, but, 
you know, nothing really sticks until you submerse yourself into the culture. Exactly. And I mean, I'm not, you know, I'm not one of those people who just picks up languages. So I had had high school Spanish. I mean, Mm -hmm. none of it really stuck. Um, And I made a few false starts with French. Like when I first met Olivier, I mean, I had this idea, like many people do, oh, wouldn't it be great to learn French? I have now come to firmly firmly believe that kind of like (laughs) positive, you know, motivation gets you nowhere in language learning. There has to be some dire negative (laughs) consequence um, living in front of you. I mean, it's all about, you know, fear. Sure. I I knew that I had to do it if I wanted to really be fully a part of my family. And so that was a powerful motivator. Um, What I did is when I was in Geneva, I took one kind of intensive class where I went like five hours a day for a month. Wow. And that gave me a good um, foundation. And since then, I've really done it just kind of on the fly. I mean, I wish I had more time for formal instruction. Um, And there are little kind of, you know, kinks and just, inelegancies in my French that I'll probably never quite iron out um, Mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe I would or would have been able to um, if I'd had kind of a more traditional education in French. But no, it was really, you know, I had that one class and then it's just um, diving in the deep end with a sense that, like, I really have to do this. You know, it's not not just a self-improvement project. It was something that there were... You know, there were emotional stakes. Um, There was a lot riding on it. Yeah, of course. I love the French language. I think it's beautiful. Well, I do, too. Um, And, you know, especially now that I can actually understand it. I mean, I kind of like, I always liked just the sound of it. But I was also, I mean, there were things about it that put me off. I I was, you know, I had this idea that it was kind of snobby, that it was um, so formal and kind of, you know, doesn't have that um, flexibility mm-hmm. that English does. I mean, that's the great, that's the the wonderful thing about English is it's just so adaptive. Um, but there are things that I've come to really appreciate. For even that stuffy old, you know, something as simple as the vu versus two distinction, the formal and the informal, the way yes. you have to address everyone you meet. Right. I hated that at first. I thought it was like kind of, you know, putting up this velvet rope in every conversation you're having and saying, like, well, you get the, you know, you can come in, but you you stand in line over here. I didn't like that at all. Now I do. It's like this kind of really nice, dignified way um, of interacting as you go about your daily rounds. So there are things that have grown on me. Did you ever feel, I've heard this before, like an imposter, like, you know, people are going to know that I'm new to this language. Yes, and I don't think I just felt that way. I think people do know that um, <laughs> I'm new to this language. But what I was worried about was, like, losing some part of myself um, in taking on this new language and identity. It was funny because one of the things that motivated me was I saw Bradley Cooper giving an interview in, like, perfect French one day. Wow. Like, and I thought, okay, why? how can Bradley Cooper do this? Um, and I looked it up on the Internet, and he had okay. spent, like, three months or something with uh, a a French ex- as a French exchange student, like 20 years ago. Yeah. And I was saying to myself, like, is he some kind of prodigy? Like, why is French so easy for Bradley Cooper? No, and no, not no. For me? But what I realized is that he's an actor. Exactly. <laughs> and no shame and no qualms about kind of 
assuming, you know, shedding his own skin and assuming somebody else's mannerisms and intonations and accent. And so I had to either, you know, try to think like an actor or like <laughs> have a drink were my, two, <laughs> were my two kind of tips at the very beginning. That is so funny. I know, because really, you know, they normally people just get an acting coach, a dialect coach, and they take on a persona and you, you're, it's very believable. Right. And, you know, I did a lot of research um, for the book as well. There are actual scientific studies saying, like, that even, you know, the thing about having a drink isn't a joke because, um, obviously, if you have too much to drink, it's, you know, your French is going to be terrible. But if you have kind of just the right amount, like one or two drinks, um, what it does is it just simply lowers your inhibitions, which is part of the difficulty of learning a foreign Uh language because you feel like a dork doing it. Oh, yes, definitely. What would you like readers to take away from this experience, from, from your book? What, I, what I'm really hoping is that people will read it um, or, you know, they'll hear about it and give it to someone in their life, a child or a grandchild. But anyone who's kind of negotiating a relationship of difference. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the book is kind of, it's an examination, but at the end, after you know, all the difficulties um, Olivia and I came up against. It's a celebration of the kind of empathy that you develop when you um, have to learn how to talk to somebody who's different from you. And, um, you know, there are so many things that can be hard or that can be lonely about leaving, uh, you know, where you're from or who you are or your language. But in the end, it's also so wonderful. And you get kind of, you know, in learning French, I got double the books and double the movies and double the holidays and double the things to talk about. And I think it's just um, a real experiment in developing empathy when you have to learn to put yourself um, in someone else's language, really. Yes. I love, uh, there's a quote in here that uh, later on in the book, in the chapter, The Conditional, bilinguals overwhelmingly report that they feel like different people in different languages. I like that. Right. And so, you know, People have this sensation. I mean, any of your listeners out there today, I'm sure there are people who speak different languages. And you really do feel like you're kind of toggling back and forth between, like, personalities even. Mm -hmm. And there are different reasons for that. I mean, it can be that a certain language corresponds with a certain phase in your life, that it reminds you of the person you spoke it with. Um, You know, it could be, I had a friend in Switzerland say to me, she grew up speaking Spanish with her family uh, of origin. Mm -hmm. She spoke French with her husband and children. And she said to me, you know, but I love, I feel so free in English because I'm nobody's sister or wife or mother. Um, So it can be situational, but it can also, I mean, there are actual differences, too. There was a fascinating study that I include in the book where, um, Russian speakers who are obliged to make a distinction between light blue and dark blue. So in Russian, you can't just say, oh, like, it's a blue shirt. You have to say light blue or dark blue. We're actually able to distinguish between shades of blue faster than than speakers of other languages. This was something they did in a laboratory setting. So that's a language actually physically making you see the world differently, which I just found so fascinating. That's really interesting. Before we wrap, I want to ask you something. The theme of my show is Get the Funk Out. And a lot of times we go through these ups and downs, personal, professional. Was there ever a time you found yourself... Uh, you know, feeling like, oh, you know, I'm so overwhelmed. And what do you do when you're in that moment? How do you stay positive? 
Yes, that, that absolutely was how I was feeling when I landed uh, in Geneva with no friends and oh, no ability to speak French. And what I did was I learned French and I wrote a book about it. Mm-hmm. Sure, because then you don't feel so alone and you feel like, okay, I can kind of, you know, get involved in the culture. You know. Exactly. It was a way, it was a way for me um, to engage and to, you know, get out of my own head and, and into other people's. And yes. so that was that was a great way for me to cope with that. Now, where can people find out more about you? Um, I have a website. It's laurenzcollins.com. I'm also on Twitter and on Instagram um, under the same handle, Lauren Z. Collins, uh, Z like zebra. And I'm a staff writer for The New Yorker, so a lot of my work is on The New Yorker website as well. Fantastic. And you live in France or Geneva full-time? I do. I, I live in Paris now. Fantastic. Ugh. Well, you've been so inspiring. I think I want to brush up on my French now because I, it's been nagging at me, and then I got your book, and I thought, oh, I want to do this. Well, I urge you to do it. We'll do our next interview in French. <laughs> it might be a while. <laughs> I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you really inspired me. Lauren, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. I really enjoyed it. If you missed any part of our conversation, it is up on my show blog, getthefunkoutshow.kuci.org. And if you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at moms, M-O-M-Z underscore rock.